Hi, I'm Dubba, I'm the Director of Music Tech Fest, and this is the MTF Podcast. Our guest this week is someone you probably haven't heard of. David Paris is not what you might call a household name, but the people who have heard of him, well, they're household names. David's beavering away behind the scenes, pushing pixels, manipulating HTML, and he's been on speed dial for A-level rock stars since before streaming, before Napster, before MP3 players. His is a fascinating story of how the son of an Indian immigrant went from watching MTV in his bedroom to partying on an aircraft carrier with the Fugees, hanging out with Jeff Buckley in his office and managing the online profile of a bunch of people you've heard of and whose records you own. I had the chance to sit down and have a chat with David Paris for the MTF podcast a little while back, and just like I imagine he had with Tori Amos, Thievery Corporation, Sheryl Crow and Roger Waters out of Pink Floyd before me, he gave me his business card, and it didn't say what I thought it would. David, thanks so much for joining us. Um, your business card says you're a digital plumber. What's that exactly? Well, um, it's a uh, title I kind of came up with because, you know, sort of the the web developer, web designer, you know, CTO, whatever those existing titles are, I, I don't feel sums me up. So... Mm. In essence, what it is, is the guy who kind of makes everything work or um, the expensive guy you call when you're trying to fix things, right? right? So, you know, something's broken on my website, my social media is glitchy, this and that. You know, I like this word plumber because in essence, that's what it kind of gets down to, right? I'm actually in the trenches fixing things as opposed to telling somebody else, hey, do this, do that. Right, but the really interesting part to the story, of course, is the clients for whom you are a plumber. I sure. mean, you've you've got a fairly sort of, uh, well, I mean, do you, you want to do some name dropping for us? Sure. So my main client, uh, gosh, we've been together 20 years, is Roger Waters, um, formerly of the band Pink Floyd, uh, who people might be familiar with. And Roger and I worked closely together for, yeah, yeah 20 years. Um First on his website, of course, and then came along this thing, you know, social media. So I do his Facebook page and maintain his Twitter and uh, handle his Instagram with his creative director, Sean Evans. And uh, yeah, Roger texts me, emails me, WhatsApps me, you know, um, which is wild because I drove to high school um, listening to his music, you know, and right. never in my wildest dreams <laughs> did I think I would be uh, texting <laughs> with the man who wrote the songs. Right, um, right. How did that come about? So my uh, story is I went to college in New York City. I went to uh, NYU. And uh, in 1995, I was working in the computer lab and I was uh, playing with something called Netscape Navigator. And one of the first websites that opened up for me was for whatever reason, the Sony.com website. So I was looking at TVs and whatnot, and I clicked on their music division, and you know they had a very primitive website back then. And uh, there was a little blurb saying that their music division uh, was looking for a webmaster. I didn't even know what a webmaster was, huh. but I thought potentially I could get free CDs, and that to me was very, very exciting. That's why I got into radio. <laughs> oh, my God, free CDs, eighteen ninety nine each, you know. Tower Records. So uh, I sent in uh, an email from my college account, and they said, yeah, sure, coming in for an interview. And uh, I went to the Sony building, uh, 55th and Madison, now now condos, I believe. 
But uh, I went there and they said, you know, you're great. And, you know, you're a computer science major. You're perfect. But you're still in school. You know, this is kind of like a, a real job. How would you do this? And I said, I don't really know. But maybe I could be like an intern or consultant or something. So they said, good idea. We'll give you $10 an hour. And we want you to make websites for our artists. So my classic story is, you know, half my notebook was like calculus or whatever from college. But the other half was meet with Ozzy Osbourne at 4 p.m. and sit down with Mariah Carey and work on the website for Michael Jackson and Ricky Martin. And, you know, it was ridiculous. And it was the real people. It wasn't like I was working at Madame Tussauds, you know, wax museum, these right. are, the act, or tribute bands or something. So it, it was it was unreal to me as a music fan, you know. How um, old were you at this point, just out of curiosity? 1920. Yeah, so yeah. this is, I mean, you're still a student and yeah. impressionable young man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is all new, you have to understand. Like, the web was, you know, just at its infancy, right? So the Sony uh, artist websites, as I remember, was a gray page with one photo and a bunch of little links. And that's all you could really do back then. It was very primitive. So, you know, I would do things like build a contest form in, in Perl, if anyone's familiar with that old programming language, and, and you know, I was praying it was working and stuff, and I would put it live on our, on our website, which was one page. You know, uh, you know, win two tickets to see Mariah Carey at something. Um, and I'd put it live, and I was like, I wonder if anyone's going to see it. And then I would look at the text file where I was collecting all the entries and a hundred people had entered in a minute. And I was like, Oh my God. You know? So I became not only a web developer, but in some ways I was like a broadcaster uh -huh. and I was broadcasting to all these fans of these artists. And these are pretty popular artists whose fans had just started using the web. Right. Wow. Yeah. It's it interesting. Did the, did the artists kind of embrace it as an idea or, or were they cautious about it? How, what was the response like? I think there was a little bit of caution. Um, and by the way, this is all pre-Napster and all that stuff. There was no piracy per se going on before CD burners and stuff. But I think there was a sense of, number one, what the hell is this? Mm -hmm. But number two, because they're artists, they always want to express themselves. You know, that's the nature of it. So... You know, sometimes you hear from an artist, yeah, the I, I turned in my CD and I'm so tired of it, right? You hear that idea because they've been living with it for a year or something. And the, the web, I think, gave them a way to express themselves away from an album cycle or away from, you know, a song or going to a radio or whatever, uh, going to an MTV, if anyone remembers what that is, uh, <laughs> going to those places and talking about themselves. And they could do it themselves without a gatekeeper. So the best artists that I would work with did blogging before it was called blogging. You know, I had bands like Cypress Hill, you know, write up these, uh, we call them uh, stories from the road, where they would basically write up what they did at Lollapalooza and they would send digital pictures to me in a very small resolution, of course. Um, and we would essentially do blogging, you know, for these artists. That, that's what was called content. You know, the, the big thing was like, we need content for the website, content, content, beyond the album cover, beyond the track listing, beyond the, uh, the real audio uh, samples. Uh, we need content. So the, largely the, the content came directly from the artist, yeah. And that was fun because you were going to the artist's uh, website and you're getting exclusive content that you couldn't find anywhere else. Yeah. Right, wow. Yeah. Um, I, I guess sort of if this is pre-blogging, then blogging comes along. Blogging kind of comes along with RSS. Yeah. Um, did that change the game for you? Uh, yes and no. 
Um, I think blogging, what was interesting is a lot of the artists sometimes went rogue, you know, and they would set up their own websites because they could. You know, I don't remember any cases where, you know, it was becoming a real problem, but oftentimes, you know, they would want access directly to their site and they would post things without the record label's knowledge. And you mm -hmm. were always kind of curious, you know, what are these guys posting? And, you know, hopefully we'd get notified. I'd build something into a script saying, hey, send me an email whenever Harry Connick Jr. puts up uh, X, Y, and Z. But, yeah, this is the idea that they could control their sort of, you know, it was like having a magazine, but they didn't have to go to the editor. They could just publish whenever they wanted, which is kind of terrifying when you think about it. And I remember some instances, like we had a band um, – I believe it was Toad the Wet Sprocket, if anybody remembers that band, who broke up, announced their breakup on their website without telling anyone. They broke right. up because they published with some script that I made, and it was up on their website before they told anyone. Right, without alerting the record label. Yeah. And, and I yeah. guess that, that you were in the employ of the record label, not the artist. That's correct. At the time, I worked for Sony Music, yeah. And then uh, in... 2007 I left and went out on my own right before that 99 hits Napster comes out I, mm. you know everything goes into a panic oh, yeah. how did that affect what you did it was it was dramatic and swift and uh, I'll tell you my first uh, interaction with with Napster it's interesting but uh, I was uh, 24 25 and I was dating someone who was you know in the midst of college and I walked in her dorm room once, and she was really busy on her laptop. And, and I, I looked at her and said, well, what are you doing? It's like, um, I'm playing with this thing. It's called Napster. And I was like, what, what's Napster? And she said to me, oh, it's great. You type in a song, and you hit submit, and you can, you can download it. You know, mind you, there was no streaming or anything at this time, so I know this sounds primitive, but you could download it. It's like, well, how do you pay for it? She said, no, you don't pay for it. You just download it. And I immediately got on the phone and called my boss. I was like, have you heard of this thing called Napster? Oh, my God. And she was like, yeah, everyone in the dorm is using it. Because in the colleges, obviously, it was one of the few places you had high-speed bandwidth. Sure, sure. Um, even I think uh, the, the bandwidth at the college was better than what was in the office. Right. If I remember right. So, yeah, I was just blown away. Like, oh, wait, this MP3 thing. You know, and I think this is uh, – around the time of the Rio player and all this. So MP3 was still kind of in its infancy. But just this idea that kids were making playlists with music that they didn't buy from iTunes and, you know, it was, it was, it was wild. So the, the, the next thing that came along, of course, the, the record label was, oh, my God, you know, they, there was some MP3 trading, of course, on the web. Yep. You know, click here to download the MP3. And we would have to call our friends at the RIAA and shut that down and this and that. Um, it was a whack-a-mole. It was, you know, cat and mouse. But this changed the game because it was decentralized, of course, as everyone knows. There was nothing to shut down. So the label and everybody else, yeah, went into a panic. And it was, it was crazy, crazy times. And before that... You know, the big thing was the CD, and we were selling millions of Celine Dion CDs in a week, right? Uh -huh. So I remember going to parties, like, on aircraft carriers when the Fuji sold 10 million CDs. You know, crazy things. The, the, the money was there, right? So yeah. 
it was a it was very much a turning point and it was very dramatic and it happened out of the blue and quickly and wow before we yeah. go on with that story the the idea of you partying on an aircraft carrier with the fujis <laughs> yeah. uh, and and starting the story as a computer science student yes. yeah. who who wanted to just sort of build websites because it's a tech thing yeah um how did you get there, at least to that point? Because obviously there's a design element in uh, in, in web development and, and plumbing, as you put it. Sure. But uh, but so what does the child David want to be when he grows up that takes him to this uh, this place? You know, first of all, I'm not a musician. I, I, I've never really played an instrument. I, I've tried, but never really you know, got into it. I don't, I don't think it's a natural talent of mine. But when I, I fully embraced music was probably 14, 15, and I watched a lot of MTV and things, and one of my earliest memories of just really falling for music and sort of the quote-unquote power of music, if you will, was I saw uh, the video for Sunday Bloody Sunday by a band called U2, and a, a, you know, this crazy guy in a, with a mullet, you know, and a, you know, <laughs> like wife beater shirt walking around the stage at Red Rocks in Colorado and you know he was so charged up and amped up and he was running around to the flag and you know climbing things I'm like oh my god you know this guy's crazy and I love the song as many people do and and it, it showed me that music was more than just you know the REO Speedwagon or whatever on the radio that you know my parents would play in the background it was it had this power you know it had this thing in the sky this, you know young crazy guy with a mullet was like he was you could tell like he might have died that night you know for this thing that they were creating I don't know not to be dramatic but anyway that really swept me into music and then I was very fortunate that I had friends in high school who weren't into sports who you know we weren't into girls for various reasons, because like you know, high barrier or whatever. But um, we we didn't have a lot of distractions. There was no internet, anything. But the one thing we really fell in love with was collecting music. And you would have to go to this uh, record store thing or the mall, have thirty, forty, fifty dollars to buy two CDs, you know. And we collected music, you know, on CD. And it was such a thrill. And then we would DJ and all this stuff. And and that was the thing. So I, I'm very grateful to the friends that I had who really helped me realize, like, this is what you like. You mm. know, this is this is what you're into. And it was, I was very passionate about it, yeah. You mentioned your parents, uh, and uh, other than their ARIA Speedwagon fandom, yeah. you know, what, <laughs> what can you tell me about them? What did they do, and how has that affected where you've ended up? My father uh, was an anesthesiologist, Um uh, immigrated to this country in 1974 and was doing his residency at uh, Yale University, where I was born. But he immigrated from India and uh, was at Yale, and I was born in, in New Haven, Connecticut. And um, my mom was a librarian at the college, and um, yeah, then we lived there for a year and then moved to a cold place called Buffalo, New York, if anybody knows that. O.J. Simpson was my neighbor, Um OJ the murderer. Um, so, yeah, it was a, it was a very good childhood, you know. Um, but again, other than living next door to a murderer, yeah, you know, it made it interesting. But um, my parents weren't musicians or anything like that. But my dad had a very large vinyl collection that I recall. You know, he had a Marantz uh, uh, audio system. Which, wow. looking back on it, like I'm not sure where the hell my dad had such uh, fine taste and 
a hi-fi equipment. But yeah, I remember very clearly. Like he had, he had high-end stuff. He had the good gear. Yeah, and I was oblivious. I was just you know playing with my you know Tonka trucks or whatever. But yeah, he was he was into it. Um, and I guess it rubbed off in some some weird way. Um, I'm not a super audiophile just because uh, you can never you can never have the, the the right gear that you want, and you throw all this money at it. So you know I've dabbled, but I'm not not my dad, I guess in that sense, but yeah, it was, it was one, uh, a childhood where they didn't push me into anything, you know, even though I'm an Indian kid, it's like, you don't have to be a doctor. You don't have to be a lawyer. And I'm very grateful for my parents that they allowed me to follow my passion, which was, you know, music and technology. Um, I don't think they ever quite understood what I did. You know, my mom was the tough one. She was like, well, what, what is this? You know, why can't you do what your friend's doing? You know, it's like, I don't care about what they're doing i Uh just don't care you know money is not why i'm here or whatever um yeah i want to do what i love like so but you know i think you know they were proud of me because um they knew i was happy yeah very thankful for that and uh you know they got a kick out of all the free cds (laughs) (laughs) was it was it deliberate this uh, idea of merging tech and music together um it wasn't deliberate i mean i i really fell into it and i am so so grateful because people will ask me what i do and I'll, I'll give them the quick spiel and they're like oh my god you know how did you how you know they're just kind of in disbelief mm. not only the, the 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 celebrity aspect of course but the you found your calling you found the thing that you love you found the thing that if they stop paying you probably want to do it anyway right like sure. yeah you know yeah, I, but don't tell him that yeah i know yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah but but you know there there is a such a thing as people who never really found their calling or their passion or mm. you know what they love but I, i'm i'm one of those people i got very lucky and there are some people in my life who i'm very grateful for you know on a sort of career level who gave me trust you know to to work with these artists and you know trust that i wouldn't screw it up and i wouldn't embarrass the the company or embarrass the artist or the management or whatever there was a lot at stake you know with a lot of these high pressure live events and you know we signed this band for 10 million dollars and we're releasing this thing on the website blah 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 you know i have all these stories of those things and um you know it, it yeah and it's not working in a hospital but with any job there's stress you know there were definitely stressful moments you know you know, we're not launching nuclear bombs or anything. Don't get me wrong, but <laughs> there are times where it's like, oh my god, you know, there's. But a there's lot there's, an, there's a serious economic impact on some of these things. Absolutely, we have the brand new single from Michael Jackson. You know, or playing it on his website. You better not let that website crash, David. Wow. Yeah. wow. So <laughs> you know, there were some times where things were crashing. There was no cloud <laughs> right. at the time. There yeah. was no, you know. So you were running the servers, yeah. you, were, you know, doing yeah, the whole back-end stuff. Yeah, I was running the servers. I was right. doing the plumbing for all this stuff, yeah. Okay, and, but you're no longer with the labels. You're actually right. working directly with the artists now. That's right. So, you know, Roger's one of my main clients. Um, other websites that I maintain and host and developed are uh, for the great artist uh, Tor Amos, uh, the band Thievery Corporation, uh, the artist Cheryl Crow. Um, a terrific band called um, Lucas Nelson and Promise of the Real. It's great. And um, Does it help to like their music? It does, but I'll tell you, if you really like their music, it's kind of terrifying because you're, you know, <laughs> you're sort of help, you're, you're shaping the 
the image and the public persona of someone you have a lot of respect for because you love them. Mm-hmm. So in essence, sometimes it helps. I won't say not like their music, but not be so into them because it gives you this leeway where you're not worried or stressed out. Like, Oh my God, am I representing them in the right way? Cause you're kind of unfamiliar with them or whatever. Right. Um, so yeah, when I work with certain artists, like there's um, my favorite artist, uh, one of them is a guy named Jeff Buckley and uh, meant the world to me. I knew him. He would hang out in my office typing again, you know, pre blogging, sit in my chair for three hours and this and that. And I did his website, you know, his first official website. Stressful, man. <laughs> like you love this guy and you want to represent him. And I'm not a, a designer. I'm not a, you know, an artist. I just kind of put things together based on uh, people much more talented than me. I take assets and I fuse them together. I'm kind of like Jeff Goldblum in The Fly. If you remember that movie, he had a great speech. You know, he said, uh, "Yeah, I'm not. I'm not really that smart. I just take things that are built by people much smarter than me. And I just kind of put them together." I feel like Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> like, I'm not. You have to be very specific about which movie you're talking yeah, about. When you, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not. Uh, you know, I'm not an artist. Um, I'm okay with Photoshop, but I really just take things and put them together. The so. thing that surprised me uh, when we first met, and you're talking about what you do, and you're doing this kind of sort of, you know, with these phenomenal clients doing uh, web development and you said, oh yeah, I, I, I use WordPress. I went, hang on, I use WordPress. Why, yeah. why aren't they my clients? <laughs> <laughs> so right. what, what is it that you do exactly from a, uh, from a technical perspective? Yeah. So um, good question. The technical perspective, honestly, is everything from the domain name, of course. So at a, there was a time in my life where I was, I had a portfolio of, gosh, five, 6,000 domain names, um, you know, all Sony related, artist related, record label related, et cetera. So anyway, I, I, I got very familiar with the world of domain names. So, you know, with an artist, they'll come in with a domain or I'll register it or whatever. Or, you know, there are cases where you have to get the domain and have it transferred. And I have all kinds of stories. I, I got billyjoel.com back from a fan, you know, uh, rogerwaters.com was with a fan. And those are very careful negotiations. So anyway, um, from a tech perspective, the domain, um, I'm very familiar with the world of web hosting, which uh, has obviously gotten easier over the years, but, you know, had had been tricky. And then finally, it's, it's a case of um, the website infrastructure. So back in the old days, you know, everything was flat. It was like one HTML page, some images and things, but you know, this content management world of WordPress and things has made things much easier. So, yeah, I'm involved in setting up the, the, the hosting and the, the, you know, the CMS and the, you know, what this thing's going to look like and either working off a template or doing something from scratch and making sure it's responsive, of course, these days. And, you know, everything can be visible on a phone, et cetera. Um, and then finally, the date name maintenance. You know, Roger Waters calls and says, "Hey, I want this on my website or this on my Facebook page. Make it happen, and do it right now." Right. Um, so yeah, I guess when you're Roger Waters, you can you can do that. Um, I'm happy. And, to. and are you doing the when you say you're sort of doing the Facebook page, doing the Twitter? Are you actually the social media uh, content creator? Um, well, yes and no. So working with Roger, you know, obviously is a very very clear and precise vision when he says, I want to put this up and I want it to be about X. And I wrote this text and can you go and either he'll supply an image that he found um, or, or shot or whatever, or he'll say to me, 
hey, go find an appropriate image for it. And um, I'll go and look. And if it meets Roger's approval, it's part of the post. Um, or I'll work with his great you know, creative director and he'll supply something to me. So I don't mean to ever make it sound like I'm doing everything or, you know, this and that, but no, it's, it's, it's a very much a team effort. These artists have teams, you know, right. and nothing just kind of happens. Um, but what's amazing about Roger and not to keep going on about him is, you know, he's, he's a, he's a star, he's a superstar. And I have this one-to-one relationship with him. I'm not going through a manager. I'm not going through, you know, any middle person or his publicist or anybody He's actually reaching out to silly, stupid me, uh-huh. and and it's kind of kind of crazy when when you think about it, right? Um, is, so, it, is there any point at which you say actually actually Roger, I don't think this one's a good idea? There uh, there have been cases, but you know, uh, pushing back on somebody like that is uh, not not really what you want to do. But no, I, I think in in most of the time, like. He's right on, you know, and um, his stuff that he posts is largely political. If you're familiar with Roger Waters and sometimes polarizing, but that's his point of view. He's an artist and he does not take kindly to people who say, you know, why are you mixing politics with music? How dare you? And he's like, well, that's what it's for. Why can't I? (laughs) So it's a fascinating argument. Um, But yeah, working with Roger is a treat. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. is there some insight that you could give to people who, for instance, if they're artists but they're not Roger Waters, what they should be thinking about on their website? Is this sort of like a one top tip that you go, you know what, you should think about doing this? Yeah, that's a good question. I think the number one thing, honestly, is try to put some personality or quote-unquote content on your website that is straight from you and is not part of your album package or publicity pack or what have you. It's your freaking website. Make something, do something, put up something that somebody can't get elsewhere. You know, whether it be on Amazon's, you know, your the the retail page for your album or a fan site or whatever. Um, I think the key is to to have things that make, you know, there's a lot of talk, oh, well, artists don't need websites anymore. And, you know, nobody needs a website anymore. Is the web dead? Blah, blah, blah. It's, it's kind of like saying scooters are in the new car, you know? Uh, you know, it's, it's people, yeah, of course, people always need websites and they'll always be looked at and this and that. But you have to make them attractive because if you're putting all the quote-unquote good stuff on your social media, yeah, your website's going to, die like you know a plant dies if you don't water it so you have to give your website some love the way you give your instagram feed love and these people give you know all their social media lots of love because Mm -hmm. obviously they're getting instant feedback but people are still going to your website you know you might as well put some good stuff there still getting invited to uh, aircraft carrier parties no, no, uh, <laughs> I am not. Um, yeah, but uh, I still have some fun for sure. Yeah, yeah I'm very grateful. David, thanks so much for your time today. Yeah, of course. Cheers. Thank you. 
David Paris, digital plumber to the stars. And I really love that kind of modest view behind the scenes of some of the biggest artists on the planet through some of the biggest seismic shifts in recorded music history. But I guess that's one of the real stories of music tech. And that's the MTF podcast. If you enjoyed, and why wouldn't you, make sure you hit the subscribe button, go like, share, rate and review and tell someone you know. Go and water your website, have a fantastic week and we'll talk soon. Cheers. Thank <laughs> you.